Stand with me, if you would, as we read the Word. Uh, Jesus is going to teach on the parables here. We honor the Lord with uh, all of us just standing and seeing what the Lord has for us. On that day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea, and great multitudes gathered about him. So that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole multitude was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And, he, and as he sowed, some seeds fell by the road, and the birds came and devoured them. And others fell upon the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, because they had no root, they withered away. And others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Please be seated. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning just thanking you that we have this honor and privilege together as brothers and sisters. And Lord, if there's one here this morning that has never been granted repentance and faith, we pray that person, man or woman, boy or girl, will be able to see how beautiful Jesus Christ is and how patient and loving and kind he is. And I just would ask that you would fill me with your spirit, that uh, we would all, when we leave here, say it's been good to have been in the house of the Lord. Father, I pray for different individuals in our community. I pray for Mayor Geddes as he and the council lead this city. I pray for uh, Mr. McMaster, the governor of the state, and all the uh, the folks uh, in politics that make uh, the laws and stuff. We, we pray for our state. We pray for this nation. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray, Lord, for the persecuted church that, uh, that don't have the privilege that we have this morning of gathering and proclaiming the word. We pray for those families, for those dear folks, dear Lord. Thank you for some... Uh, over 20 young people that have gone uh, to different parts of the globe to, uh, to carry out your great commission that you gave uh, 2,000 years ago. And even though you bury your messengers, Lord, the message goes on. And we thank you, Lord, for the young people in this church. We thank you for the senior citizens, uh, those of us, and I conclude myself in our declining years, as they say, uh, and yet, Lord, we're here to worship you and thank you. That's the beauty of the church. It's not a just one age. It's, it's people. Lord, we live in a chaotic world. And in the, these four walls and in our hearts, Lord, you can bring order out of chaos. And that's what the gospel is, and we thank you for that. We pray for our pastor. We pray for Pastor Dave and the team that went with him to Boston to, um, Pastor Danes, we pray you'd fill those people with your spirit and that uh, much for the kingdom will be accomplished uh, on this trip. We pray their safe return as they travel uh, back to us, Lord. So we thank you for this day, 
And we ask that you lead us and direct us and guide us as we ask these strong names and uh, as we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Jesus just gave a parable. What is a parable? A parable is a story. It's a story usually with one main point. Could be two, but usually one main point. Uh, and in here, he tells us there was a sower. Who is this sower? Who is this person that sows? Well, we have to go to the next, uh, to the next parable where it's explained. Uh, because they ask him, and in verse 37 it says, He answered and said, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. So the sower is Jesus Christ. And us, me as a pastor, us as believers in Christ, are also, in a minor way, sowers as well. We, sower, we are sowing the seed. If the seed is not sown in a pulpit of the church, no preaching took place. Maybe a good talk, but not a lot of preaching. And so he says that this, the sower is the Son of Man. The seed is the Word of God. It's the gospel, the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. The most essential person, the most essential historical fact that ever took place in the history of the universe, the most uh, gruesome, awful thing that ever happened was the cross. The most beautiful, wonderful thing that ever happened was the cross. Uh, Satan meant it for evil. Evil men meant it for evil. God meant it for good. From the foundation of the world, that was the plan. God does nothing on a whim. Okay, so we see the soil that the Lord's going to talk about are the hearts of man. Apparently there's four kind of hearts. If there was five, he would have said so. If there was three, he would have stopped there. And it might have been easier for me because I have a lot to say in about 26 minutes. Or less. So anyway, he's defined what they are. And just like the disciples uh, said to him, as soon as he gave that dissertation, look what they said in verse 10. Uh, why do you speak to them in parables? Why do you use parables, Lord? Well, the Lord didn't leave them in the dark. He answers their question in the very next verse, in verse 11. In verse 11, he says, And he answered and said to them, To you it has been granted. Granted means something's given to them. They didn't, they weren't especially wise. They weren't especially intelligent. They weren't especially smart or better than anybody else. He says, this has been granted to you. And he said, to you has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And then he gives the prophecy uh, of what he just said uh, from the book of Isaiah. But then in verse 16, look what he says. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see, and didn't see it, and to hear what you hear, and didn't hear it. Uh, now he explains what he just said. 
he explains the parable in verse 19. In verse 19, he says this. Uh, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away that which has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown by the road. The sower has a bag and he has seed and he's throwing it out and some of it falls on a hard path as hard as the concrete between the sanctuary and the cab over there. It's hard. It won't get in. Why is there hard hearts? I think Romans 1.18 answers perfectly why people have hard hearts. It says, For the wrath of God, in verse 18, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They hold the truth now don't want to hear it. There has never been an atheist child in the universe. A child has to be taught there's no God. A child has to be taught to go against their conscience and against nature. Because the scripture says that God has made it evident to everybody. That's why no one is without excuse. Everyone has the witness of nature and the witness of conscience that there is a God. Now that's not going to get a person into heaven, but it's going to show them that there is something there. In the heart of man, there is a desire, and God is going to make sure that they hear the gospel. Let me ask you this. Is there anybody here this morning that is a Christian, and you know you're on the way to heaven, but you've never heard the gospel? Well, that's absurd. You have to hear the gospel. That's what Romans is all about. How shall they hear unless someone preaches? But everybody that hears the gospel in this church age, in this kingdom age, is not going to go to heaven. Why? Because they suppress the truth. And they suppress it so long that their hearts, hearts become hard. It says, for since the creation, it doesn't say evolution. In verse 20 it says, for since the creation of the world... His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. No one will ever stand in front of God and say, I never heard, I didn't know, I didn't have a chance. And so the Scripture tells us that sometimes the Word of God, the Gospel, falls on hard soil. Now, what I'm going to read is will be a different sermon for a different day. But I just want to tie that in to what the Lord said about the evil one will come and snatch it away. <laughs> in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, it says, And if our gospel is veiled, or if it's hidden, it's hidden to those who are perishing. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So the scripture tells us back in verse 4 that the God of this world, little g, another name for the prince of the power of the air, Lucifer, Satan, the deceiver, is the God of this world. And it says that the God of this world has 
blinded them. Now, there's no such thing of here's God and here's Satan and they're battling and who we're trying to see who has the most power and strength. That's ridiculous. That's not what the text is saying. But the text is saying that some people's hearts are so hard that it's like trying to plant a vegetable garden out on the concrete. It's a hard heart. And then he goes on and he says this. uh, By the way, did you hear about this man that lived in Australia? And uh, he was 104. He had no disease. He had no pain. 104 years old. And he uh, wanted to go to, I think it was Switzerland, where they have assisted suicide. And that same man I read a couple of days later, he did what he said. He said, I'm just tired of living. I'm just tired of it. No pain, no, no, no suffering. I'm just tired of life. And I got to thinking, I didn't uh, get a calculator or anything. But 365 days times 104 is a lot of days. And the Bible says, day unto day, the creation utters speech. We see the glory of God in the, in the intricate details of the order that this world is. Creation itself shows us there is God. And this man had 365 times 104 to look at this world and died not believing in the afterlife. And he was a scientist of all things. So, we see people can have a hard heart. We look down and uh, in verse 20, the Lord says there's another kind of heart that this seed, this gospel is going to fall on. Yet... Uh, it says, and the one whom this seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. How many times have you shared the gospel and the person seemed like they were as genuine as you were? They might have even come to church with you for a while. They might even be sitting in the pews of this church right now. They're excited. I've seen people over 38 years of preaching um, uh, that I've gone to Bible conferences with, I've ministered with. And now there's absolutely zero interest. Last time I talked to this fellow, he said, all the churches that I know are way too conservative for me. They stick to the word way too much. So, he's, uh, I guess he was a, a rocky type Christian. Listen, in Palestine, in this land where the Lord's teaching this beautiful message, think about this. Do you realize Now, this message is so important that he wanted it preached at Park Baptist Church. He wanted you to hear this message. He wanted me to hear it and preach it and apply it. Do you know this is the only book in the world that you enter the narrative of it? You enter the very narrative of these stories. This is not just a a story. This is not Aesop's fable. This is not the Chronicles of Narnia. This is real Life, real truth. And you and I enter this, and I'm going to use somebody, and I hope she doesn't mind if I use her as an example. I'll tell you what her initials are later, if I get to it. Anyway, I'm going to show you how we enter the narrative of Scripture. And that's a beautiful thing when we enter the narrative. I love to read novels. I love to read Herman Melville in the 1840s. He's out in the, near Hawaii, and he's sailing over. He, He was a a whaler before that. But I will never be in 1840 on a sailing vessel hunting whale. 
I can sit in the comfort of my home and look at it. But when I read the scripture, we enter the narrative. If you can't see yourself in this narrative, uh, we need to have your heart softened up just a touch. But he said there's, there's, that there was a, a, a rocky limestone layer under the surface. And seed would be thrown on it, and it looked like it shot up, and it was beautiful. Whatever the crop was, wheat or whatever, it looked healthy. Then the sun started beating down. Then it wilted. And that's what the Lord's saying here. He said, the rocky heart has no firm root in himself. But it's only temporary. And when affliction and persecution arises, because of the word, immediately he falls away. Affliction. Uh, persecution. It could be sickness. It could be the loss of a job. It could be the loss of a house. You could get yourself in financial trouble. Uh, it could be the death of a dear loved one. Affliction and trials come. I heard this explained by a really good preacher once, and he said, life is like a parade, and you and I are on the curb, and we see life as it passes by in front of us. And something happens that, that, that we wouldn't want in our life. We go, man, it's tough. This is hard. But God's stretching us. That's what the book of James, look what James says. He says, consider it. It looks like this word shouldn't be here. It concerned it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials, when trials and tribulations and difficulties come into our life that you would never want for you or for your loved ones. It says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, endurance will have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So God sends afflictions, and he sends difficult times and situations in my life and in your life, God will never tempt us to do evil, but he will test us. And then I want us to look at a passage of Scripture. And, well, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it. But we know the story of Job. If Job, if they would have had the Internet in Job's day, and uh, he had a Twitter account, this is what he could have put in one line. You know what the whole purpose of Job shows? It simply shows this, that saving faith is not dependent upon present circumstances. What you're going through today, your affliction, your hardship, your heartache, is temporary. It is not all of life. We see life from the curb. God sees it from the mountaintop. Listen to this. Uh, we know the story of Job. He lost everything in a moment of time. And he had no idea what God was doing, what he was doing. You see, the God, God is very faithful. But he's also very, very unpredictable. Wouldn't you agree with that? You don't know how God's always working. I did not know that for 22 years I was at Fellowship Church. And that there was like a 12-year-old 6th grader in Chicago. And I had to wait until he finished high school. I don't know if I'm getting this scenario right. But he had to finish high school. 
he had to get some kind of an education. So we went to seminary. He met his bride. They got married. Then he came down here for five years. And then the Lord said, okay, Huddleston, I guess it's time for you to meet this guy. I had to wait 22 years. I guess that's better than waiting 40 like Moses did on the backside of the desert, right? Isn't that something? Warren Wearsby said every time God wants to do something big, he has a baby born. God's children are in Egypt being treated unmercifully. And God says, I'm going to, I'm going to deliver you. Don't worry. I'm going to have a baby born named Moses. Then, after he was leading the land, he was thrown on the backside of the desert. So Moses was 80 years old. I beat him by six years. He was 80 years old, and God said, okay, now I'm about ready to move. You see how we see, through, see, see things through a narrow window, and God sees it through a big... <laughs> Listen, this man... Uh, Job lost his wealth, everything he had. It would be like me if they called me at the bank and say, Huddleston, both your dollars are gone. Go, well, not too big. I might be able to bum two or three more from somebody else. But two, uh, uh, his wealth was wiped out. Then a servant came and said, not only that, uh, but all your children, all of them, not one child, all of your children, Sons and daughters were killed. He lost his health. His wife said to him, Mrs. Job said to him, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? And he said, though he slay me, I will not. This is what he says in verse uh, 23. He says, behold, I go forward, but he's not there. Talking about his unpredictableness. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he acts on the left, I cannot behold him. He turns on the right, and I cannot see him. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, when I go through these afflictions, when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. He was in the white water. If you've done any rafting, which I have seen on TV, I swim like an anvil, so I have nothing to do with deep water. But white water can get you in trouble. If you're in some really big rivers, and you better have some skilled people with you, or you better be prayed up. Maybe both. But anyway, he's in the white water here. And this is what he says. My foot has held fast to his path. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the command of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. You know, when you go through trials and tribulations, there's three things, there's three, there's three reactions you can have. You can rebel and say, that's it, I'm out of here. Just like the Lord said in this parable that people with a rocky hearts do. They give up and they quit. Or you can do this, you can whine. Nobody's going through what I went through. Oh, I have it so bad. You can whine and whine and whine. And the third response is the only biblical response. Job said, I know God, and I'm going to get through this. And 
he was in the white water, but God brought him out. Now, I'm going to use this young lady as an example. of I don't know if she's ever read this, this uh, passage in Job or not. But what she said to me in the parking lot after one evening service, I think it was a Wednesday service, shows to me that she's just like Job. Her initials are Heather Porter. Heather said to me that when this injury, it was her umpteenth injury that she had. And she was angry and upset. There's two things that she loved. Gymnastics, working with kids. And uh, she said, I was angry because this happened. But then, you know what? That wasn't the end of the conversation. That was just started. Then she started preaching. She said, I think it's one of the best things that ever happened to me. You know why? Because it made her look outside of herself. She said she went to the therapist and, was, and asked the therapist, what's your relationship with the Lord? And now she's, she brings relatives with her. She's concerned about folks in her family, folks uh, that are her friends that don't know the Lord. See, that, that was a terrible thing as she stood by the, by the, uh, on the curb and saw this parade of life. And I've been dealt the blow here. All I know is this, is the Holy Spirit that inspired Job is the Holy Spirit that worked in that young lady's heart and is still working, and I pray that is working in all of our lives. There are people in this church, that the short time that I've been here, that had, have been married for many years, and their loved ones, their partners have gone on. But they're here, and they're worshiping God. And it might be a whitewater time for them. But I remember John McDonald, as young as he is, said one of the things that encouraged him the most about this church is seeing some older people that had been through the white water, some people that had been dealt affliction and hard times, and yet God is there. Well, he goes on, and uh, <laughs> so is my watch. Uh, and so the Lord said there's another kind of person that hears the word. Now, listen, it's part of life. Affliction's going to come. It's going to come. It, life is not a bed of roses. Uh, in the very first chapter of Genesis, it says that the Spirit of God brought chaos or, 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 or brought order out of chaos. Listen, in my heart and in your heart, the Holy Spirit of the living God brings order out of chaos. Before... Christ entered my life over 43 years ago. My life was chaotic. Now it's in order. Is it in perfect order? Of course not. Do I serve the Lord sinlessly? Of course not. All that's on the other side, is it not? Right now, we're here worshiping God. And we look at this next person here. And the one whom the seed was sown was rocky. We look down at verse 21. Uh, Verse 22, I'm sorry. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches chokes him out. Now, remember this about thorns. It doesn't happen all at one time. Most people with the best intentions, when you're young, you've got a career, you've got a job, you've got a family, God may kind of, Kind of take a back burner role. And sometimes people want to climb up that corporate ladder 
and uh, doing what's ever necessary. And your life can become chaotic. I just want to look at a couple of verses, uh, and we'll wrap this thing up. Uh, I'm in First uh, Timothy chapter 6. Jesus said it, and the Apostle Paul said it, is all I'm going to go to today. I think that's pretty good sources. When he says the, uh, the, uh, the danger of wealth, the danger of riches, the danger of stuff. I think it was Tommy Nelson said that don't let your life end like a garage sale. You know what a garage sale is. You have a garage sale, it's just stuff that you don't want. And if it's in my case, it's stuff that I kind of get irritated now even looking at it. Just stuff. Look what the scripture tells us in Timothy. It says, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we can take, so we can't take anything out either. We come into the world with nothing, we leave with nothing physically. Uh, how much, you hear this phrase, at, 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 at the time, at the time of American history, uh, Rockefeller, John D. Rockefeller, one of the wealthiest men in the world. And somebody asked, how much did uh, old John D. leave? And the answer was, <laughs> he left it all. He left everything. Uh, verse 7 says, for we have brought nothing into the world, we'll take nothing out. Verse 8, and if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. If you have food at home, covering on our bodies, and a covering over our head against the elements, Everything else is a plus. Okay? Verse 9. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and to destruction. Uh, Jesus said you can't love God in money. If you do, you will love one and hate the other. Uh, Proverbs 23.4 says, Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Uh, look what he says here in verse 11. But flee from these things. Flee from wanting to be rich. Flee from stuff, is what he's saying. And then he tells us what to pursue. Righteousness. Godliness. Faith. Love, perseverance, gentleness. Uh, we look at this and then we see the last thing that the Lord says. Now remember he's giving four hearts. By this definition alone, we can see that there are very few sheep. Three-fourths of the people that... The Lord ministered to, by his own saying here, only one is a good heart. Now that doesn't mean all the good-hearted people are lined up together and all the rocky-hearted people are lined up together. But let me just read this last verse here. And Jesus said, And the one whom seed was sown on the good ground, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. I know 
nothing about planting and gardening. And the way you get food is you go to the grocery store, right? You buy the food. That, that's all I know. I don't know anything about how to grow it, how to, how, to, how to do any of that stuff. But I do know, I did read that a 5 to 15% increase is really good. So the Lord is saying here that all of us that are true believers are going to bear fruit, some more than others, but we all will bear, will bear fruit. Uh, Ezekiel 36 uh, is what the Lord tells them here. This is good news at the end. There's some bad news for three of these hearts, but all this is going to be made good as we close this thing out. In Ezekiel 36, beginning in verse 25, the Lord said, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you. He didn't ask you to get a cup and sprinkle yourself. He didn't ask for any help or any aid. He said, I will sprinkle water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness, from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Do we see anywhere in here where uh, Ezekiel's offering any help to from his people? Verse 27, And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my statutes. About one page over in my Bible is some beautiful words from the Lord when He says this. He says, uh, All things, I'm in uh, chapter 11, verse 27. Jesus says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. And then Jesus says this. He says, Come to me. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, You know, I guess I have had kind of a hard heart. I guess I have had a rocky heart where trials and tribulations have kind of pulled me away from the, uh, from the, uh, from the beauty and the love of God. And it's been thorny. I've had my life on riches and I've looked at other things. You may ask, what can I do to have a good heart? And the answer is, you can do no more than the soil can change itself. The rocky soil can't become good soil. The, uh, the hard soul can't, but here's the beauty of the gospel. Jesus simply says this. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my load is light. He can break up hard ground. Jesus Christ can uproot rocks and he can remove thorns in your life. The last, you thought we were through with Revelation. We are, but, so, but for one verse. Pastor Dave summed it up last week. I'm going to quote one verse. And we're through. Well, kind of. 
Last book of the Bible, last verse, this is what it says. And the, in verse 17, it says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. Dear Lord Jesus, we love you this morning. We thank you so much for your word. We know you have the strength and the power to change any heart. You changed mine. You changed those uh, of us here this morning, Lord, that know you. I would pray that you would grant repentance if there's anyone here that has that hard heart. Work in our heart. Conform us. Make us and mold us into the image of your precious Son. We need to sing a hymn.